This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. New number one supercomputer crushes competition. And China takes top 500 by storm. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into a special episode of This Week in HPC, live from the ISC 2016 conference in Frankfurt, Germany. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research. Joined again by Mike Feldman from top500.org. Mike, welcome to Frankfurt. Yes, welcome indeed. Busy day here, first day of the conference, and there's a crush of news today. We had a ton of news today, but I think the one that we're going to report on in this early episode is all coming from the top 500 list, starting with a new number one supercomputer at the top of the list. Now, what's funny about it is it's not from any one particular vendor. This is an internally developed system in China, developed by the National Research Center of Parallel Computer Engineering and Technology, or NRCPC. It's going to be installed at the National Supercomputing Center in Wuxi, and it's called Sunway Tiaihu Light, and it, it's the new number one super on the list. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd say it's number one. It, it crushed everything else. It's three times as large as Tianha 2, which was the number one system since uh, 2013, I believe. It's been there for five or Several six. lists in a row. And that was the big uh, 33 petaflop system, Limpac. This one is three times that size, so it's not even close. It's a it, uh, Limpac mark of uh, 93 petaflops. Yeah, not quite three times, not but it's quite. up there. Uh, that was off of a peak of over 100, 125, I think. So this is a huge system, uh, 40,000 nodes, uh, but it's all, like you said, it's an indigenous, uh, sort of domestically produced uh, system with its own processor as well. Right. Overall, they've got over 10 million computing cores and over 40,000 nodes, nearly 41,000 nodes. The peak power consumption was also pretty good. It had a nice... Uh, uh, a green 500 score as well in terms of the, the performance per power metric. So it, it really kind of uh, crushed the competition all over. And the, a lot of the focus was on this internally developed processor, a new processor coming out of China. So why don't we start with that? What's going on with the, with the chip? Well, it's, the, it's a Shenwei chip. So it's a fourth generation Shenwei. Remember the, the blue light supercomputer, the Sunwei blue light uh, a much smaller system at the same uh, center actually used the previous version of this same chip, but that was a that was a much different chip. It wasn't uh, anywhere as close to the power of this one. It, it was basically a multi-core chip. This is a many-core chip at 260. Uh, it it uh, comes in at a little over three peak uh, teraflops, which is on the par of what. Uh, we're talking about for a Xeon Phi these days with Mike's landing. So it's, it's a lot of cores, though. It's a lot of cores, and it's 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 a many core chip. It's running almost. I mean, it, it has a lot of parallels to the uh, to the Xeon Phi, and that it's a lightweight cores, a lot of them, even more than a than a Xeon Phi, and a slow clock rate, but a lot of parallelism. And they get they they manage to squeeze uh, three teraflops out of it, and each one of these goes in one of those nodes. So they just multiply that out by. 40,000, sure enough, you get 125 peak petaflops, and when you when you limp pack it, you, you shed a few of those, but something really close to 100 petaflops now on a, on a limp pack benchmark. Well, and 125 peak petaflops, that means if we can go 8x of this, that's a peak exaflop right there. Right. I mean, the problem with that is this is, a, this is 15 megawatts just for the system, and that doesn't even include cooling. 
So you multiply that out by eight, and then, then you have to start looking for a couple of uh, power plants to, to uh, power this thing. So you can't quite use this technology. Yeah, 120 megawatts. They <laughs> could stand that up. They could do it. Yeah, fees, well, I mean, you can if you've got the money. So now you're paying basically, you know, a million dollars a day in, in electric bills, power and cooling. But you're getting closer. And with that, like you said, there was a, a decent uh, energy efficiency ratio, but still not... Still not really in the ballpark that you wanted to really build a feasible exascale system, something that you could, you know, stand up and use for five years. But uh, getting closer, and certainly this is a, a surprise system in many ways. Like like we said, it doesn't use uh, any of the uh, any of the technology based on uh, any of the uh, chip makers in the U.S. This is the internally developed or indigenously developed chip that they've had going for a few generations now, and this is the the results, so it's impressive on that count, and they've already got applications running on it at almost at scale. So it's uh, it's not what you would probably consider a stunt machine, but it does have a few deficiencies that maybe we should uh, talk about a little bit. Right, we talked about the the chip itself, which is impressive, and how it multiplies out to a very impressive Linpack score. But then when we start looking a little closer. There's a few nits to pick with the rest of the subsystems. Let's start with the memory. How much is there? So there's 1.3 petabytes, which, you know, is a lot of memory uh, if you had a PC. But you start looking at the other top systems on the list, and you realize for the amount of flops that you have to feed with that memory... That's, it, that's low bytes to flops. It is. I mean, you, you look down at a, at a system basically a tenth of the flops, which is the K supercomputer in Japan... That's a, that's a 10 petaflop impact system, and ha that has 1.4 petabytes of memory, and that necessarily that isn't necessarily a lot of memory itself. So this is basically something that is on the order of one tenth of some of these other systems uh, at the top of the list. So they're very much going to be memory constrained if, if you're looking at large applications. It's basically 32 gigabytes per node, and each of those nodes, like we said, uh, is is going to have to be. Uh, is using or can use up to three teraflops, so that's not much memory to feed all those flops. But at any rate, you were saying it already has some applications running, so you find some applications that don't require as much memory they can run. Let's move on to the interconnect, and here's where I really start getting confused. This is where I had some, some questions, because they, they made a, a real point that these are all internally developed components. This is a, a custom interconnect, the initial papers about it all indicated that this was based on a tiered PCIe interconnect in three main tiers. Uh, there's a, a, a top tier that connects a bunch of super nodes, and then there's nodes within the super node structure and, and so forth on right. down. And we were wondering about the PCIe interconnect, but after asking a few questions, it turns out that the... HCA chips and the switch chips are actually coming from Mellanox. So it, there's a question as to how much of this is custom and how much of it is Mellanox, either Ethernet or InfiniBand. It doesn't actually specify. Right. I mean, they're, the fact that they've used some of these, these ASICs from Mellanox is, uh, makes it partially not uh, indigenously uh, produced or domestically produced. No, but correct. They, yeah. But they did design. I mean, they're not using... Uh, Chinese memory chips either. They're using, you know, commodity memory chips to, to put up the memory for this thing. But they did they did build the, the switch infrastructure and the adapter infrastructure in this. Right. They would have had to. They might have bought some chips from Mellanox, but not the whole fabric. Right. 
they right they they built the devices themselves but this this the question in my mind is still is is this an infinity band network just with with the PCIe infrastructure running underneath it or is it actually a PCI interconnect which has been done for certain HPC clusters you can actually run a cluster on PCIe without any other uh, over without any other uh, heavy protocol on top of it but I have a feeling they're either using uh, InfiniBand protocol or or Ethernet protocol on top of this, since they are using those switch and uh, switch and adapter ASICs from Mellanox. There's kind of a practical question also for those of us who track the market. They did say that there was 270 million dollars in R and D to build the system, which sounds small enough for a system of this size. But I'd kind of like to get a sense out of that 270 million. How much of that was spent externally on components? Like if I was buying things from Mellanox versus paying people who are engineers in order to design things or buying silicon. Right. You know, I'd like to get a breakdown on internal versus external spending on that. We're probably not going to get it. No, we're probably not. I mean, this that $270 million, I mean, if we were in the North America or Europe, that would basically pay for this machine. You wouldn't get any unre non-recoverable engineering out of that. That would... That seems like you, you'd have to spend extra money to do that. So who knows exactly how they do the accounting in this case. The $270 million sounds like a reasonable number to build a, a supercomputer of this size, plus some of that went to the it's facilities a bargain. Yeah. as well. I mean, that, that is actually a good price. But like I said, they didn't spend a lot of money on memory, and actually we should, we should mention at this point that if they had outfitted it with a re, uh, what we would call a reasonable amount of memory, the uh, the energy efficiency wouldn't be this good either. Correct. That would chew up a lot more uh, electricity. Usually, if you if you you know outfit it with a good amount of memory, you're going to drive your energy efficiency down because they're sucking down a lot of electricity as well. Let's get to one last question about this specific system. We talked about the processing elements. We talked about the interconnect. We talked about the the memory. Let's talk about the storage. Uh, is there any storage? <laughs> Well, none to speak of. <laughs> they haven't said anything about storage. No, they must have some There must be here. some storage somewhere. Unless there's a guy running over with floppy disks every time they need to load a, uh, an application. But i got a thumb drive with my yeah. application on it, my data set. No, they, they did not reveal the storage system that, it, that stuck onto this. Um, it's nothing I have of note at this point. At some point, we'll, we'll probably figure out what the storage system is. There's more researchers and other, uh, other luminaries visit site and look at what's really going on there, but nevertheless, a remarkable system and sort of an interesting uh, start to a domestic supercomputing program in, uh, in, in China, and uh, I think there will be more of these to come. We know the uh, Tianha 2 system is going to now start using uh, domestically produced uh, technology of a different sort, uh, starting perhaps uh, late this year or next year, we'll see some of that, but uh, obviously China's on a different path here with... Uh, with uh, their domestic production of supercomputing technology, and this is just the beginning. Well, speaking of more Chinese systems to come, this wasn't the only new Chinese system to hit the list. Now, let's start by saying that the rest of the top ten didn't change, other than the fact that everything kind of bumped down a, a slot. There might have been some reshuffling between them, but there right. wasn't another big new system until you get down to the... Uh, 17 range. There was a new Cray system at ECMWF in the UK that was essentially the same 
a twin configuration to to a Cray they already had. That was the the next biggest, the next biggest new system. system that that appeared on the list. But the the big effect that we saw on the list was a lot of new Chinese systems showing up throughout the bottom portions of the list. Right. They really changed some of the dynamics of the top 500 overall. Well, yeah, I mean, it actually changed the historical context of the top 500, and this was the first time that the U.S. has actually lost the lead in the, in the total number of systems and in the performance. What? The U.S. doesn't have the most systems on the top 500 list? They, they just got edged out by China this time around. It was uh, 167 systems are now Chinese systems and 165 are U.S. systems. And then the performance, they got edged out basically because now China's well, got the two top the systems. The two top systems are Chinese, and there's more Chinese systems on the list overall. Right, so the performance lead has switched over to China as well. So basically, uh, yeah, the U.S. got demoted, and this is sort of the first time this has happened. I mean, the U.S. has not always been at the top of the list, obviously, uh, but they've always dominated the numbers on the... Uh, on the top 500 in these other respects, and now that's gone as well. Well, and we talked about this trend at SC15, you know, six, seven months ago, that and as Chinese systems are starting to come up, and there were a lot of new ones all of a sudden, and, and what I said then, I would stand behind now. I, I don't think it's really that there's a huge rash of new Chinese supercomputers everywhere. It's not that they've discovered supercomputing, it's that they've discovered the list. Right. And, and they're getting better at putting systems onto the list. Right. They've discovered Linpack. And yeah. so so if, yeah, if you look on the list and you see a lot of these super a lot of these systems are basically from internet providers and uh, banks, trading companies, commercial firms and they're using in a lot of cases often unspecified who well, the sometimes just totally unspecified right. on what they're doing. They're using Ethernet as the interconnect. They're using just straight up vanilla X eighty six from from one of the uh, Chinese vendors, Lenovo, Inspur, Sagan, um, they do not look like what you would call HPC type of systems during their normal production hours. I'm guessing they're running other types of workloads. But to be fair, this kind of list gamesmanship has gone on on the on the rest of the top 500 list for year, for as long as I've been in the industry. It would be common to find uh, systems of that sort uh, throughout the list, and right. but it would be predominantly vendor-driven. If if a particular vendor had a good top 500 management initiative, they could start counting up how many of their configurations ought to be able to make the list and start getting more of those on there. Right. I think you're right. It, that has been going on. But now with the Chinese chipping in as well, I have a feeling there's a greater number of those systems now on that list. So it would be interesting now to go in and do an analysis and, and try and determine how much of uh, sort of pure HP systems or, or more systems that, that exhibit the properties of what you would consider an HP system are now on the list. So uh, it's going to, I think it's going to start to skew some of the, some of the results as they, as they carry this historical list forward and to try and track HPC technology because some of these things are, are, don't seem to be based on HPC technologies anymore. Well, let's get to the fundamental question. Do you see this as indicative of China having taken the lead in supercomputing worldwide? Well, no, I don't, I don't think so. In fact, if you actually, if you just look at the list in a, for a cursory way, you can see they've got a few top systems and then a lot of middle and bottom systems. They, yeah. don't, they don't have what you would call sort of the, the, uh, the, 
the top middle systems that are at universities and research organizations that are just not top petaflop systems, but are doing a lot of work for a lot of different research organizations. There you'll see European and uh, North American systems sort of dominating that part of the list. I would give a similar answer by starting by saying, no, it's not indicative that China is the, truly the leader. However, uh, the, the modification I would put on that is I would say it's no longer a silly question. I yeah. think it's a very reasonable question, and it, this could be, if you look at it as a direction of where things are going, China is currently on a faster vector than other countries right now. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, they've come up further and faster than any other country that I can think of in the history of not just the list, in the history of supercomputing. I mean, they, uh, you know, 10 years ago, they had like 20-something systems on the list, they, and now they've got 160-something, and they're dominating the top of the list. Um, I, I think even even the people building these systems and, and the software would, would at least admit that their software technology uh, and application software technology is, is behind the curve as far as uh, when you compare it to what North America and, and Europe and uh, Japan has as far as that goes. Uh, they're trying to catch up very rapidly, which, which they have to do because they're building the hardware for these things, but they have some catch-up to do. And then if you look at the design of something like this, I think they, there's still some catch-up there as well. I mean, this, this isn't as well-balanced a system as, as one would want if you had a 1,000 researchers pounding on it every day. They're, they're going to have some... Uh, memory contention problems, if nothing else. So uh, it's a remarkable system in a lot of ways, but it's also a learning curve for the Chinese, and you can, you can kind of see it as, as, they, uh, as they fill this out, but impressive nonetheless. A couple other real quick hits on the list, just to wrap things up. Interconnects, we were mentioning before, we did see our first couple of Omnipath systems show up on the list. I think there were eight of them. Not a, you know, a whole, whole huge lot, but it really changes things. Although Ethernet did come up while InfiniBand fell back on the list. Do you think that's related to the, the addition of the additional Chinese systems here? That would be my guess, that we have more of those sort of non-HPC-ish systems on there, so it's it, they're going to have they're going to be more Ethernet folk uh, centric there. So that might have skewed the list this time around, and I'm going to have to a lot of new Lenovo systems on the list. A lot of new Lenovo systems and and Inspur and Sagan even. So yeah, I think Lenovo more than the others. More so. than the others, yeah. So I think uh, overall HP still had the most systems on the list. Cray, despite uh, the, the the two big Chinese systems, has the most. Performance on the list still, and Intel obviously they still dominate in the processor count on the list. They've got most of those systems. I think close to ninety percent of those systems are maybe a little over. And then uh, fewer accelerators than we had before. There's actually a drop in the number of systems with accelerators. Yeah, a slight drop in accelerators. Uh, not quite sure what that's about. It just might have been the other. Could be some of the Chinese systems again. Some of the other Chinese systems, and uh, you know we're starting to think there's some unreported GPU systems out there that are commercial, uh, that are commercially uh, built, but uh, the companies or the, the end users are a little bit shy about putting those systems on a list, or they're just not, not interested in running Limpack on those systems for whatever reason. I think we're seeing more penetration there than, than the top 500 uh, is showing. It's just unfortunate that it's in areas that uh, where the end users are, are a little bit reticent to publicize it. Final note, it, it, we've got even more evidence that while the top of the list keeps going up at a nice clip, the bottom of the list really seems to have settled into a new, l lower long-term growth rate. If you track 
the performance of the 500th system on the list going back in time. That used to go up pretty regularly at 90% a year, but ever since 2008, it really hit an elbow and settled into a more like 55% a year, substantially lower. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's still growing, but like you said, it's it's a, a different growth rate, and uh, there's different theories on what's going on there, but basically people seem to be building, uh, or seem to be increasing their, their system size at a smaller rate now, but that's sort of indicative of maybe a maturation of HPC, but also you have to factor in what we were just talking about. There's a lot more... Um, sort of non-HPC technology systems on the list, so that might reflect uh, sort of an enterprise flavor to some of those, uh, some of those middle and bottom systems. So it's, it's hard to break everything out, but it, it just looks like a, a maturing uh, ecosystem, but maybe not to the extent that we would normally think of HPC. It just might be a little mix of, uh, of, of enterprise and HPC. I don't know. I, I relate it to the new architectural paradigm. You go back to 2008 and look at it there. I, I attribute it directly to the advent of dual core, quad core, in the multi core, and uh, you know the uh, decline of Denard scaling and just relying on more and more cores, and it's changed the dynamic at the bottom of the list. Yeah, you have to rely more on building bigger. Uh, bigger systems to get the performance out of it. Moore's Law is still working, but it doesn't work in the same way as far as delivering you twice the performance every year because, like you said, the hard scaling sort of could put a kibosh on that at the end of that. So, yeah, I mean, relying just on Moore's laws and doing it. And You're at the bottom of the list. You're driven by budget, right? right? It's essentially a question of what's the 500th biggest HPC budget and how much do you get for it, and that's what's really changed. Right, and to, to build bigger and bigger systems is a lot more expensive than just relying on the chip to be twice as powerful every year, which it's not doing. So I, I think we're sort of zeroing in on the same thing. We're coming at it from different approaches. But, yeah, it's a matter of money. It's People aren't going to be increasing the size of these systems as fast because it's it's more expensive than it's worth. Well, speaking of chips, we've, we're getting a lot more news to cover from ISC 16 while we're here in Frankfurt, but we'll wrap up this podcast for now. But we'll get back later in the week. We'll talk about new news with Intel Knights Landing. We've got new news out of NVIDIA. We even had some Fujitsu ARM news that I thought was interesting. We can come back to all those things later in the week and see if there are any other big stories that pop. That sounds good. Yeah, those, those chip... Uh, stories are, are going to be good, and then, uh, yeah, we'll probably see a few other things pop up as the week progresses here. Normally, a conference like this we can talk about for a couple of weeks after the fact, but we'll wrap it up for now, Michael, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to a special episode of This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com. 